Well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to another installment of Modern Wealth Management. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, and as always, we've got our star of the show in Mr. Derek Hutchins of Monon Wealth Management joining me in just a moment. We're diving into another wealth management-related talk. That's what we do here on the show. And look, hey, it's a special one today. We're turning the page, moving into season two of the show. So for anybody who's been with us over the past few episodes, we appreciate you guys being with us for season one as we're getting things off the ground. And boy, are we excited about season two. We've got a lot of great content coming your way. Uh, you know, particularly stemming from a really awesome resource that Derek and I had kind of found our way into. I want to show it off because a lot of the concepts and strategies and solutions that we're going to be identifying here in episodes to come, a lot of them are being plucked from not only the conversations that Derek is having with his clients regularly, but also this little puppy right here, The Psychology of Money, written by Morgan Housel. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal read. Uh, so many lessons and applications that we can be putting into our own lives, especially our financial lives and our financial well-being. So we're super excited to get moving into this resource and some great topics that we've got coming to you over the next few, uh, you know, this season, really, the next few episodes. But with that being said, I'd love to bring Derek on today. We've got a great topic to get into. Derek, good to see you. How are you doing this morning? Hey, good. Great to see you, Ryan. I am um, so excited about talking about this uh, this topic. I think it's timely, mm -hmm. and um, and you know, you referenced the psychology of money. I have been uh, recommending that book to just about everybody that I run into recently, mm -hmm. and I've had it on. Um, you know, I, I have it both Audible and. Um, in hard hardback but mm -hmm. um i've you know i drove down to evansville this past weekend i listened to it on the way there the way back and certainly with everything that's been going on politically socially economically yeah i think that we all need to get this uh this right and mm -hmm. um because this you know what's going on psychology you know psychology our you know what's going on with our heads is really going to make the difference for people as they look to compound their money over the next several years. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And Derek, today's topic specifically, we're getting into this idea of the seduction of pessimism. It's a chapter in the book. It's one that really leapt off the pages to you, and, and I'm yeah. excited to get into this one. So let's let's kind of frame it up here high level for our audience to get things going. On a general level, how would you say that the concept of optimism and pessimism just creep into our lives, not only just, you know, on our day-to-day -day interactions, but also our financial well-being as well? Well, you know, as I, as I think about this chapter, I, I, I think about different people in, in my life, uh, those that I would view as being optimistic and those that I would view as being pessimistic, you know, but the truth is Ryan is that when you really think about things, you know, the better play is it's better to be optimistic, um, mm -hmm. you know, because it's it actually is more it's more truthful. Right. You think about history and for most people, most of the time, things are getting better. Um, let, me, let me put it this way. The richest uh, wealthiest person American ever, uh, you know, if you uh, adjust for inflation, was John Rockefeller. And, um, you know, when he died, he was worth the equivalent of about $350 billion. 
And um, that would be about three times Warren Buffett. Okay. Just wow. to kind of put this in context. He died in, I believe, 1937. And uh, so this is the wealthiest American that has ever lived. And, and I would venture to say, Ryan, that your life today is better than the life that he lived. I would say so. And, you know, I've been people say, well, why would you say that? This is the, the wealthiest, the wealthiest person, the, the, the wealthiest American that's ever lived. Right. The reason for that, the reason I say that is you think about it. He died in 1937. He was about 90 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, over his lifetime, I mean, um, you know, the, you know, the cars that you have, the ability f- to travel, air yeah. conditioning communication, mm-hmm. medicine, food. I mean, it over the, you know, it wasn't till the end of his lifetime that the refrigerator was born. Okay. <laughs> he never yeah. went to bed with air conditioning on. So, and I don't care where you live in this country in the summertime, it gets warm. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> You know, I frame that up and say, you know, Ryan, certainly neither you or myself uh, are categorized as one of the wealthiest Americans ever. <laughs> yet, because we're fortunate enough to be born 150 years later than mm-hmm. he was, we don't have to be. We have more things. We have a right. better uh, comfort of life. You know, our lifestyle mm-hmm. is, is better. And I think that, you know, for most people, optimism is really the is really a better avenue because, like I said, it is closer to reality. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't help also to think about uh, uh, famous poet Billy Joel, who once sang the good old days weren't always good and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I mean, it, it's really it, it, it. You're absolutely right. We inherently live and and a better life than anybody behind us. So naturally, that just translates into us. We should be more optimistic. But yet, why does it seem though that pessimism just tends to catch our attention more? And and it and it really it just kind of we we love to just grab a hold of pessimism as opposed to you know looking at the glass half full, looking at it optimistically. Why why do you see pessimism creep in like this? Well, you know, as, as as one wise man once put put it, you know, for reasons I've never understood, people like like to hear that the wor- world is going to hell. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that is, but um, but people, you know, people prefer pessimism. If I got on here on my Facebook live show and uh, I guess which is what I'm doing now and saying, hey, you know, the future is brighter than the past. Uh, We're going to, uh, we're going to have economic growth over the remainder of my lifetime, and certainly over the next hundred years, that far exceeds the the growth that we've had the previous hundred years. Mm -hmm. Uh, My children's life will be better than mine. Their lifestyle will be better. Their access to food, medicine, clothing, travel, education 
it's all going to be better than what I had. If I get on here and I say that, which I just did, well, this may be the least watched Facebook show, Ryan, that you and I have ever produced. Okay. Fair point. But if I got on here instead and I said, hey, you know, I really want to put out a warning to all of our listeners that the Great Depression uh, is, is, is imminent. We're on the mm -hmm. cusp of a huge stock market and economic collapse. Well, I have a feeling that this show would get watched quite a bit more often. I'd probably get some um, some offers to be on CNBC and and NBC and and Fox sure. News so that I could spread this what sounds like extremely intellectual information. Mm, you know that yep. that is kind of the way that optimism and pessimism works. You, uh -huh. know, if you say, "Hey, everything's going to be okay." People write you off like a like a jolly fool. Right, right. If you instead say, hey, the world's going to hell, everybody watch out, mm -hmm. they call you a sage and they put you on TV so that you can scare the heck out of everybody else. It just right. sounds more intellectually interesting. Yeah, yeah. This morning I was <clears throat> I uh, was in my office at home this morning and my wife Shannon came in from from working out. And unfortunately, I think, uh, as we all know, there was another um, another shooting at an elementary school in Texas. And, and that's awful. I hate hearing that. Uh, it was on the front page of every single newspaper. It was on every uh, television channel. We know exactly how many children were killed, who did it, how he did it. And it's all really in our mind now. And, you know, I'm working, I was working on this, uh, on this, the show. And she comes in and says, oh my gosh, have you heard about this? And she goes into telling me. And while, of course, it's terrible. It just goes into say, people like to spread bad news. Mm -hmm. They do. We yeah. like to well, we, we like to spread rumors. We like to talk about people. We like to tell, oh, did you hear so-and-so's getting a divorce? Oh, did you hear so-and-so entered bankruptcy? And that bleeds over into, oh, did you hear that the next economic collapse is just around the corner? Did you know that our children's life isn't going to be as good as ours? Uh, mm -hmm. That's been talked about now. I mean, as long as human population has existed. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And so, you know, when something bad happens to the, the other thing is, is that when something bad happens uh, to the market or the economy, mm -hmm. um, it's different than, than a health situation. You know, when something happens to the economy and the stock market, it affects all of us. Yeah. You know, by my accounts, um, about 50% of the U.S. population owns stocks in one form or another. Mm -hmm. With that being said, the other 50%, the 50% that don't own stocks, they can still tell you how the Dow Jones Industrial Average is doing. Mm -hmm. It's the main economic indicator as they, they portray that onto themselves, even though it yeah. literally has no effect to them. So it's certainly capturing everybody's attention.
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the you know the market as a whole because my next question let's let's take this idea of pessimism where it comes in. Let's start shifting into like you know really where it comes into play in our financial lives. So yeah, Derek, where do you see this idea of that you know topic of our show, the seduction of pessimism? Where do you tend to see that creeping into the lives of our financial well being? Shall we say? All right. So I'm not the only one that knows that people are seduced by pessimism. It's widely known and it's been known for a really long time. So in the financial space, you know, the way that it affects us and my clients and everybody that's listening to this show as it affects their money, I really see it as three, th three ways. The first way is, is it's the way that the news is reported. You know, I just now mentioned how if it's bad news, it's going to be on the front page. If it's a happy-go-lucky story about the that things are actually going to be okay, if they publish it at all, it's somewhere in the back. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, you know, in this 24-hour news cycle that we have, where you have all these different outfits competing for our attention, the crazier they can make their prediction and the scarier they can make it, the more people are going to watch. So if they, you know, the reason I'm not on CNBC very often is because I'm not going to get on there and tell everybody how bad things are because that's just not the reality. Right. Okay. And, and so that makes me uninteresting. The second way that I see it is, is in the financial space, there's a newsletter, uh, newsletter industry. And, um, you know, you can subscribe to hear somebody's expert opinion as to what is going to happen with the markets and the economy and what should they own and what should they not own. Well, the entire industry knows that in order to sell subscriptions, you've got to be more outlandish than the next guy. Mm hmm. Okay, because if you just say what they just said, oh, well, that then why would they sign up for mine? You tell them, though, that the U.S. dollar is going to zero. And that, that our way of current, our current, current currency system is going away. Hey, I'll pay attention. You tell me that, hey, a, a stock that I have uh, has an opportunity to go up tenfold over the next 10 years. I'll just I'll just assume. I'll just assume you're goofy. Yeah. You tell me though that there's some kind of a uh there's some kind of an accounting fraud inside that company and that it's going to zero. I'm all ears. I'm mm -hmm. listening to you. I'll clear my schedule to listen to you. You know, it, it's it it yeah. And and I love how in that paradigm education and qualification also plays a role. You know, you could be talking to a certified expert in analyzing, you know, analyzing the markets, who's telling you that that stock is going to go up tenfold. And then you've got on the flip side, kind of just a skeptical telling you about, yep. you know, that, you know, the, the, um, the, you know, fraudulent behavior going on in accounting, you know, it, it, it's funny to watch that paradigm shift where, where education and, and really that level of accountability also kind of creeps into play. Wouldn't you say? I would. And, you know, I'm even going to take it to the next level, Ryan. And that's, that's within my, my peers. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the most expensive financial products in the world are sold 
on fear. They'll bring you into a workshop, tell you that everything's going, you know, everything's going to zero. And yet they're the only ones that can protect you from this. And while certainly it's good to be mindful about how you're using your money and, you know, and that you're not speculating and that you have some safe assets. Of, of course, that all makes sense. That's, that's great financial planning. But this fear aspect, it is attractive to people and it sells. And you, and you tell them you have a pro that they have a problem and that this expensive product is the way to fix it. And this is the way that complicated, ridiculous financial products are sold throughout our industry. So I, I'm going to mm -hmm. say that, you know, you asked me, how does it creep in? Well, the, you know, the, those are really the three ways. It comes from the news. It comes through the mailbox. And then it also comes, um, uh, unfortunately, it comes from other financial advisors. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's too bad. You know, I've taken uh, painful measures to study uh, the great investors uh, over time. And let's just use Warren Buffett as an example. He's still mm -hmm. alive and certainly... Uh, I referenced him earlier. Um, definitely the the greatest investor of his generation. And I've read his newsletters. I've read his interviews. I've seen him on TV. And the one commonality that he has maintained over his career is he's the most he, he's the most genuine, optimistic person in the world. Now, being optimistic doesn't doesn't mean that he just thinks everything's going to be great all the time. Mm -hmm. That's that's not what that means. Certainly, he understands that there's ups and downs. And as a matter of fact, he uses those downs, times like what we're going through right now, yeah, to load up on opportunities. Opportunities mm -hmm. that he could only take advantage of if he was optimistic about the right. future. Right. If you right. weren't optimistic about the future, you would never have bought stocks in late 2008, early 2009, because it mm -hmm. looked bad. Okay. Right. So if there's one thing that the great investors always have, it's that they are optimistic about the future without, you know, without taking their eye off the ball as to what's mm -hmm. going on now, because it's these yeah. drops that inevitably happen that open up the best opportunities for the future. Right. And Derek, that plays beautifully into, into where I was going to, you know, kind of take this and ask you and that. My next question was that idea of, do we see how pessimism or really just pessimistic people as a whole, they examine the present trends and we could take the market, for example, especially right now, they look at present trends without even factoring in what could happen in the future, not just for that item, but even how we as humans could adapt and, and make an impact on that present trend. Do you find that that's the case? We, we get short-sighted with pessimism in a way. We do. And, you know, you know, you think about it, um, you know, good things, good things take time to unfold you know progression and the compounding of money sometimes can move so slowly that it's easy to ignore 
but these these setbacks along the way are so violent and so quick that quite frankly they're impossible to ignore mm -hmm. and you know when we talk about the trend of things we're all you know the the trend for the history of the stock market is inevitably uh up right uh, the the longer it goes on so the longer of the the time frame i was to to present the more evident you would see that owning stocks over an extended time period is one great way to generate wealth all right mm -hmm. But we say, hey, here we are in um, the end of May. And since January, the trend has been down. Okay. So what's just more powerful? The trend over the last six months or the trend over the last 200 years? Exactly. And so, you know, you got to really frame it and think and think like that, because all along that 200 years, there was plenty of times that the trend was down. I mean, I, I don't know what the market's doing today. It's 1030 or real close to it. So the market's been open for about an hour. And I don't know if it's up or down, but either way, it has had a trend for the day. Should you pay attention to that? I don't know. I guess it depends on which game you're playing. <laughs> sure. Okay. And, you know, and, and when we take talk about trends, you know, one thing we have to keep in mind is that we live in a capitalistic society. This, um, this economic structure that we have built is more powerful than I think what we recognize. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to look back very far for evidence. In 2020, as we all know, we were hit with the COVID pandemic. And, you know, it inflict, inflicted, you know, so many different people. We saw so many different predictions about who was going to get it, how many people were going to die. And, um, you know, that we're, this is the new normal. Remember yeah. that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what happened? You know, the capitalistic market happened. And what happened was, is that the financial rewards for creating vaccines and other medical treatments for the virus were so high mm -hmm. that companies poured all their resources into it to figure it out. You know, when we look back on that now, we remember in March of 2020, all being told to go home. Mm -hmm. Do we remember, though? all along the way when we kept getting leaked new information about new drugs new ways to handle it hey all of a sudden the kids are going to go back to school hey all of a sudden we're gonna we're gonna get back on an airplane hey all of a sudden now the kids aren't going to wear their masks to school mm -hmm. do we remember all the progression that took place yeah. along the way and that really is because you know <clears throat> The, the, the system that we have says, hey, here's a problem. And the economic benefits of fixing the problem are so high that everybody's right. going to try it. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, this has happened before. Uh, you can go back to 2008. Mm -hmm. And I remember when oil uh, had a huge spike. And it was, quite frankly, it was higher than it is today. 
and that and and that was just in real terms. You know, that was uh, 14 right. years ago. So we've had inflation along the way. Um, so you know, oil totally spiked. Well, why did it spike? They it spiked because China was turning on their economy. They were in the process of ramping up and they were beginning to use a tremendous amount of oil. And when you looked at the current oil, the current amount of oil that could be taken out of the ground in 2008, and you compared it to what the estimated needs were going to be through all of society, including this new behemoth China, they said, this isn't going to work. We're going to run out. Mm-hmm. And oil spiked. It went from about 20 bucks a barrel to almost 130. Well, what happened? We got to work. That's what happened. We came up with new drilling techniques like fracking, horizontal drilling. And we came up with that not because of the altruistic, you know, oh, we, we you know, we, we want to all do good. No, that's not why they did it. They did it because all of a sudden it was economically beneficial for them to come up with it. Mm-hmm. So what you got to keep in mind is that no matter what happens out there with the system, the economic system that we currently have in place, you got a whole bunch of really smart people trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm not thrilled with everything that's going on in government right now. I'm not. Um, with that being said, I believe that if they mess it up bad enough, they're going to get voted out of office and we're going to bring somebody else in that has different ideas. That's what happens. You know, if somebody messes something up too bad, we as the people get an opportunity to shift and change course. And Mm -hmm. over history, we keep doing it for our own benefit. And that's why, Ryan, to go back to the beginning of the show, we live in one of the most comfortable and best times yeah. of all humanity. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you using the the oil example specifically at, for to kind of illustrate that that very big difference between progress and setbacks. I mean, boy, can the pessimistic, you know, inner our inner pessimism really fixate on the issue. Oh my gosh, we're not going to meet the oil demand, but we got to work. Let's look at the optimism, all yeah. that, all those achievements that we were able to make. And, you know, as, as I was going through this chapter that, you know, that Morgan Housel had written, Derek, there was one big piece of it that he leaves us with at the end, you know, where he gives his two cents on maybe where pessimism really comes from within ourselves. And, and it, it stems back to an interview that the New York times did with Stephen Hawking back in 2004. Mm-hmm. And, they're asking Steven, you know, they say, Hey, you, you just seem so cheerful. And obviously Steven's communicating with them through, you know, his, his yeah. computer device. And they're asking him, why do you seem so cheerful? And he comes up with a pretty unique answer and, and it kind of sheds some light on this. would you care to, you know, give that away for our audience? Well, you know, for those that don't know, Stephen Hawking, he's a famous scientist. He has uh, an incurable disease that at 21 years old left him. Uh, completely paralyzed, unable to talk and communicate other than, as you say, through through a computer. Uh, to be honest, Ryan, I, I don't even know how he uses that because obviously right. he can't type with his hands. But mm-hmm. still today, most people out there know who he is. Um, he has maintained his relevancy. He continues to, um, you know... 
he continues to put out new ideas and the overriding theme of that interview was how is it you're how is it you're so optimistic i mean look at you <laughs> you know let's be yeah. honest and his answer i think was was interesting he says that uh, at 21 years old, his expectations at that point were basically reduced to zero. Sure. How could they not be when you're facing? And therefore, since then, everything has been a bonus. Yeah. You know, expecting things to be great um, sometimes mean you know means that a best case scenario feels flat, and maybe that's why pessimism is so seductive that hey if we set the bar low enough anything mm -hmm. at all right is an improvement off that under promise over deliver how many times have we heard that before we, we we've heard it all the time but unfortunately ryan that doesn't work well for most people mm -hmm. most exactly. people when they view life from a pessimistic standpoint it actually keeps them from taking the actions that they need to take to improve their situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so as seductive as the pessimism is, and yes, okay, maybe having a lower hurdle, maybe it makes you feel better if you get above it at all. Okay. But I would say that it keeps you from achieving what you're fully capable of achieving mm -hmm. you know i'm going to tell you this world is going on and it's going to keep getting better whether you do or not things will be better in the future than they are today will you be i don't know i guess a lot of that's going to depend upon which of these sides of optimistic or optimism and pes pessimism that you choose. And I would just implore you to choose the side that has the not only the greatest evidence of being true, but also that stacks the odds in your favor of you being, being your best self. And that's optimism. Absolutely. Well, Derek, I, yeah, I appreciate that, you know, kind of, parting words, if you will, to our audience, uh, Derek, you're obviously having these converse, these types of conversations, right. And obviously yeah. how they eat their way into somebody's financial well-being, their decisions with their money on a regular basis. Uh, you're, you're talking with clients about these kinds of things for anybody out there that was, you know, with us today on the Facebook live stream, maybe they're watching this after the fact or listening on a podcast platform. Maybe they're interested in just reaching out to you and your team, mm -hmm. talking about their situation. Maybe they just want to pick your brain about how they feel about what's going on right now. And maybe if there's a fit there to just have a chat, what would be the best way that somebody could get in touch with you guys over? Yeah, I mean, you know, anybody out there that's struggling with a pessimistic view of their own financial situation and wants to see the opportunities that truly exist for them. I really encourage you to reach out to us. The best way to get in touch with us is through our website www.mononwealth.com, monon, M-O-N-O-N, wealth.com. And from there, you can sign up to have a phone conversation uh, or chat or come into the office uh, to talk with us. And, you know, we're not going to 
I, you know, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke here. You know, the, the truth is, is that there, there's probably opportunities out there today that most people don't understand. And, um, and part of my job is to, to uncover those for you. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Derek, I appreciate that. And Hey, I, you, you're a busy guy. You've got a company to run. Uh, so I appreciate you carving some time out of your day yep. to be with us and dive into this idea. Boy, is it a fascinating topic when we really zoom out of ourselves for a second and take a look at how seductive pessimism really can be. And I'm not talking about just, you know, you know, your local watering hole jacked up the prices or, or, you know, the decision I need to make with, for my financial future. I mean, boy, can we find it in every little corner of our lives. So I appreciate, you know, you shedding some light on it and boy, am I excited to unpack some of these uh, additional topics in the psychology of money with you here in some future episodes. Thanks Ryan. Alrighty. And look, Hey, we want to thank you guys, of course, our audience for jumping on board and being with us here for today's conversation. If you enjoyed today's discussion, maybe you took something away from it. Do us a favor, hit that like button, you know, subscribe to the show on whichever platform you're checking us out on. And then of course, share this information, right? With friends, family, business owners, anybody that you think this is meant for, because at the end of the day, I said it at the top of the show and I'll say it again, we're taking those same strategies, solutions, and ultimately conversations that Derek and his team are having with their clients on a regular basis. And we're bringing them to you guys right here on this show. And boy, do we have some good topics queued up for you guys for season two. And we're excited to share them with you. So don't miss out. So for Derek, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you guys one final time on being with us for today's installment of Modern Wealth Management.